This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a very special episode of the Only Friends podcast. It's just me solo in the studio today, but I'm joined by very uh, five very esteemed guests, ranging from players to ambassadors to security. Uh, we wanted to dig into the conversation of online security. What's the current state of affairs? How comfortable are we playing there? What does the future look like? So I took to Twitter. I rallied the troops, and we're joined by a few very special guests uh, in no particular order. We're joined by Patrick Leonard, Pads Poker. Say hello to the team. That's Rob Kuhn. Uh, hi, hi, guys. I'm Pads. <laughs> All right. So we got Rob. Uh, Pads, I think you need to talk to get on screen. I'm here. Hello. There nice he is. Again. There he is. That beautiful face. Um, we also have Chris George. Hello, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me on. CG Poker, longtime online grinder. Uh, we're also joined by Matt Marinelli, uh, America's number one player. And I heard Arguably. he took some shots at me uh, <laughs> on a podcast not too number long ago. Damn. Arguably. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then we're anchored by John Andreas, who uh, is a former player himself that now works for security at WBT Global and is coming to us from the Philippines at some ungodly hour we appreciate you my friend yep thanks for having me on <clears throat> thanks buddy all right uh let's get into this um just kind of i guess start from the top the past year well you know since we got into the podcast uh what i began to realize is um there's a lot of shit going on in poker and not all of it's exactly things that we want to highlight um and i think for a long time that this kind of fell through the cracks because there weren't a lot of outlets talking about it. So uh, within a few months of starting OnlyFriends, the Jake Ali stuff broke. Uh, the Bryn scandal kind of took head. Then there was the Jack 4 thing that happened live, which has nothing to do with online, obviously. But um, in between, there was still a lot of stories. There was Fedor Cruz prior to that. Now there is uh, potential bot rings on some sites as well as... Uh, accusations of collusion on others what do you guys feel is the current state of online poker uh, and do you think that this is a place that is i guess viable for anything beyond recreation uh pads let's let's kind of start with you um well i'd say you're right that there seems to be more things in the limelight right now however uh, poker, I think, is also booming over the last few years, too. There wasn't really so much high-stakes action, let's say, five, seven years ago. I've always played tournaments uh, for, like, the last 10 years or so, and the biggest tournament I could play was, like, a 215 uh, on a Sunday, like the Sunday warm-up or the Sunday million. Now we have $10,000 tournaments, $1,000 tournaments. There's so much high-stakes action running. Previously, it used to be, you know, like, full tilt. Uh, Gus Hansen was playing. You kind of knew who everyone was. Uh, the people behind screen names like Durr and Robel and Legends like this. I think the reason we see so much uh, high-profile 
let's say cheating or collusion or botting or whatever it may be, uh, and so much money taken out the games now um, from these things is because poker is booming too. So in a weird way, it's actually probably a good thing these things are happening because it means that poker is kind of exploding and it couldn't this stuff couldn't happen let's say five or six years ago um so i'm not trying to say this stuff is good but i think the reason why we see so much of it in the last few years post covid and during covid with the ali stuff etc is because the games kind of exploded and poker is in a good place poker's booming both live and online and with that when such big sums of money come into play there's going to be the downsides of cheating, I think. Um, so not trying to be too positive about it, but I think uh, there's some good stuff as well in a way. Okay. I, I, I think that's actually fair and a thread worth pulling on. Um, and I think John can maybe provide us a little bit of insight here. Is the, the I guess, explosion or uh, the more outward public affairs of online sites, is this more of the community kind of catching the crumbs that fall through the cracks that security, uh, you know, just hasn't gotten to yet, or, you know, for whatever reason uh, was overlooked and there's just a bunch of other stuff being policed, or is this more of the crooks are kind of ahead of the crime fighters in this particular instance? Uh, I would have to say both. I, I, I generally agree with Patrick. I think the games are, are booming. Um, and if you, if you really think about it, online poker is the only game where the the game of skill online, where the customers wager large sums of money, um, against each other, like chess, all of the money matches are live, uh, all of e-gaming, the money matches are live because they can't police the game. So anything of significance get pushed to a live venue. And I think especially like from the introduction of the solver era, the, the the cheating tactics have gotten more sophisticated. So I can only speak for what we've done, but my general sense is that I think uh, some of the other operators or, or operators in general have fallen behind the curve as far as uh, detection and validation of, like, especially the RTA and botting issues. Okay, that's, that's interesting to me. Um, obviously, I... I largely in agreement so uh i kind of want to hear some other perspectives uh let's let's hear from both matt and rob in that order uh matt as far as like somebody who's mostly playing in american facing sites like you don't have the opportunity to play on wpt global where john is uh kind of head of security or part of security what's your experience been with the american facing sites and do you agree that uh the security is maybe becoming a little bit lackluster <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, the, the opportunity is actually, I, I'd say, increased for high-stakes action over the past couple of years because um, when I first started in 2018, the highest you could go to realistically would, would have been 1020 on Ignition, and now ACR offers 100-200, um, and that runs somewhat you know, consistently. So it's interesting to see how... That, that's one of the things that ACR has actually done really well is they've offered higher and higher stakes games over time. Um, one thing about the state of online poker is that, you know, there's a lot of it is that the vibe is bad, like the social media vibe, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the state of the actual games. Because a lot of the time, the biggest uh, people that are losing are always going to be the most vocal and people will get, you know, pissed off about uh, the scandals, but people that are winning a lot of money will tend to not say that much. So 
I can think of countless people that are playing high stakes uh, cash online that are making mid six figures that are not really saying anything about this cheating scandal at all. So they're not showing up in the algorithm. It's pretty comparable to how the public might view the economy as being much, much worse than it really is because it's so politicized. Both sides are pointing out all the weaknesses that are caused by the other side that you might miss the objective numbers that could actually be quite positive. So I want to push back a little bit on that because uh, I do feel like that's always been the general narrative around online. I, I know that that's a lot of the criticism that I've personally received uh, speaking out about some of the problems online. And it's that the there there are winners, right? There are people who are capable of beating the environment regardless of what it's thrown at them. Um, but from my vantage point, as particularly somebody who doesn't play online, is that who we should really be concerned about whenever we're uh, kind of estimating what the state of online poker is? Or should we be a little bit more concerned about the average player? Whether you deem that to be the break-even reg, the rake-back reg, whatever the case may be, uh, is it a viable is it a viable place for the average poker player to play safely and expect to have some level of return? I, I guess, Chris, let me throw that to you because I think that you're kind of uh, really in the mix whenever it comes to grinding your way up through the stakes. Sure, yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch on the state of online poker in general because I think this isn't anything we haven't seen before, right? If you remember mm -hmm. the UB scandal, super users, you know, we've been through a lot of things in online poker and the current bot ring accusations and all that, they've been had in the past on every other site, right? Every site's gone through their issues with uh, cheating allegations and whatnot. Um, and so I think that now there is a little bit of a boom, as everyone has mentioned, there is a little bit more attention on poker, you know, poker Twitter is a big outlet of uh, voices. And um, it feels a lot worse than a lot of the things that are actually happening are. And then there are some legitimate concerns for all the other sites too. But um, yeah, I think in terms of climbing up through the stakes, I think we should be more concerned about the the overarching idea of, you know, what is online poker, you know, what is it for? Is it for the recreational? Is it for the pro? Is it for everybody? I think sometimes we get caught up in valuing a certain type of player a bit too much in regards to who we're catering to. Um, some sites like to cater to recreationals, some sites like to cater to, you know, the mid stakes pros, some, some to the high stakes pros. Um, and I think it's important to just cater to everybody and to make poker a safe place for everyone to play, regardless of what you're playing and uh, what game type, et cetera. So um, in terms of what is, you know, what is viable online right now, I think um, as Matt spoke, you know, online high stakes is kind of surging again in some degree. Um, back in 2008, 9, 10, it was like high stakes was commonplace, like 2550 Zoom existed um, and it was always running. So it was just something that um, over time, you know, online poker took a big hit through all of the different 
issues we've had black friday um regulations you know different sites dropping off and uh recently like you know sanctions of different countries like it um it's evolved and i'm hoping that it's going to start coming out the other side um so in regards of i guess your main question was is it still viable or yeah yeah i i do think it is definitely viable i think that it's more challenging in some ways in terms of strategy uh you can't just you know wake up in your pajamas go over to your computer and print money like you used to be able to um now it's a little bit more of you know the competitive bar has been raised for a lot of reasons <laughs> um but yeah I do, I do think that the online dream is still alive it's just uh manifested itself in a different way uh than it than it used to be so a quick follow-up to that do you think that if things stay as is and basically nothing changes so let's just assume that the cycles persist we we see waves of bot rings popping up and then you know getting policed we see waves of rta and collusion etc uh the current state of online poker unchanged do you think that this is a viable career path for the next call it five years um yeah i mean i think so there's uh, online poker is you know an online industry it's going to be attacked a lot you're going to have a lot of people you know trying to attack servers trying to attack uh you know, systems and people trying to cheat. Online poker has always dealt with this. It's always going to deal with this. It's never going to go away completely. It's always yep. going to be a challenge to uh, find that, you know, harmony of, okay, uh, cheaters come, we catch them, they go, they try and evolve and then they come back and then we have to try and, and be, you know, responsive to that. It's a cat and mouse game and it's always going to be a cat and mouse game. There's no like hard solution where it's like, okay, this is going to happen and there's going to be no more cheating. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do think that as long as security continues to evolve and continues to be funded by these sites, that it's just, it's going to exist that, the security will be able to catch the cheaters quick enough. And, um, you know, as long as they're transparent about refunding players and everything and make sure that things are, you know, <laughs> kosher in that regard, then yeah, I do think that in five years, you could easily continue playing online poker. I think that um, there's opportunity there for anyone who's willing to work hard and outwork your, your fellow uh, player um, in terms of being a professional online poker player. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's encouraging. Uh, I obviously, I don't necessarily share a different sentiment. Um, it's more so, uh, is the juice worth the squeeze from my perspective? Um, and I think, you know, I have a very, a, a very clear live slant um, where maybe I'm missing the forest for the trees. Uh, but from my perspective, like live just has so much higher of a ceiling. And of course, there's nefarious activity that takes place there too. Um, it just you know, kind of like John was speaking to, it's a lot more policeable. When you look at these other uh, industries such as chess, esports, et cetera, the, the inability to truly have full autonomy over the security um, just doesn't really exist. So it gets moved live where you can police things uh, under a pretty well-scrutinized eye. Now, I do think that online poker is absolutely mandatory to the industry as a whole, as far as growth goes. I think you guys are all right on when you say that, you know, from the pandemic forward, 
we've seen this resurgence of uh, a big interest in poker and specifically tournament poker, uh, both live and online. I think that it is particularly booming. So we're in this weird, you know, in-between phase where um, there's a lot of customers, but I don't think that there's a whole lot of confidence. And I don't know if that's necessarily a marketing issue or uh, or what the case may be, but uh, I guess, Rob, I'll, I'll ask you and then maybe throw this around the panel a little bit. Do you feel like the uh, the publicity of the the security breaches or uh, the strain on security and, and we're not just talking about the most recent stuff of of you know the potential bot ring and uh, some other things but even like the um, the release of GTO wizard uh, lookup check where a bunch of people were caught you know being lazy and, and kind of RTing that way do you feel like this gives uh, poker a black eye that will turn people off to potentially playing more? and growing the game moving forward? It could potentially uh, deter recreational players from playing. However, I don't even think, I mean, I guess GTA Wizard has so many sponsorships. So I don't think that, you know, if you're a recreational poker player, I think they're still gonna play. Uh, I believe the stat is we're up either 25% from COVID or we're up 25, and I, I'm talking about the industry uh, from peak uh maybe it's just from covid so like pat said uh online is is definitely thriving uh by all means um <clears throat> i do think as of the recent uh things that have happened um this is a big wake-up call um to all uh to all operators that like everything you know as technology advances it's 2024 right um security has to always stay one step ahead um, I had an hour and a half meeting with the head of security last night, and that could not have went better. To be honest, like I've spent all week uh, just talking with everyone I could about absolutely everything, you know. And even as an ambassador and someone that is uh, in the know of of how a lot of things work, security still doesn't really like to say too much. But that call. Uh, uh, with the head of security, he told me a lot of things that uh, both we're doing now and both uh, that we're going to be implementing, um, increasing our security tenfold, um, uh, some of the protocols, some of the KYC things, just like I've never been more confident in the state going forward. Of course, we've, you know, uh, it hasn't been a great look for uh, ACR uh, recently, but I, I truly have a lot of faith in online poker and security uh, being able to always stay one step ahead. And and I hate to say it, but like Pat's kind of said it, this may have been what we kind of needed. Um, it sounds very weird, and it's just a, a weird thing to say in general. But if it is the wake-up call that all operators need to kind of uh, light a fire under their ass and, and you know, stay 10 steps ahead of these uh, these bad actors— uh, and that's what we have to do because, you know, we obviously, if there's one bot, that's one bot too many, right? Yeah. Uh, I want to, I want to pull on that thread a little bit. Um, Pad, you put a video out that was pretty hard hitting. I, I think that it, the message was loud and clear as far as like my perspective goes that we do as a community have some say in uh, the shape of this landscape moving forward. 
um, you know, the community has been doing a great job kind of policing this to some degree. And you kind of called for players to start holding operators accountable. Uh, could you speak a little bit more about that as far as like what that was in response to? Was it just kind of everything piling up? Was it the ACR thing uh, being the last straw? Uh, you know, basically what was the onus for that? And do you still kind of stand by the notion that, um, you know, we should consider more extreme or more drastic uh, action? Yeah, I still stand by it for sure. I think um, we have to remember this is not just like a small security breach. There's been small security breaches for the last 20 years in online poker. We're talking right. about if true, ten, let's say $10 million, we're talking about the top five biggest scandals in poker you know it's so like this is not just like a small thing like a security breach if true uh similar with the super user thing on gg this is like a very serious serious thing it's not oh there was like a bot from x country who won five thousand dollars or whatever we're talking about someone who could see the cards or the percentages or on acr we're talking about a group of people that took uh eight figures from the community like uh these are very very serious things i don't expect uh, an ambassador to come forward every time someone gets banned from a site because people get banned every single day. We're talking about two of the biggest uh, breaches in online poker history, not like the last five years or since COVID. We're talking about the history. You know, I would say like Ultimate Bet. Um, I would say like Black Friday. Um, I would say this bot ring, if true, is on the same level of these things. And because of the money that we play for now, even maybe even number one. So when it's such a big thing, I think... Um, for sure, yeah, I think it's uh, very, very drastic. And I, I'm really glad that Rob kind of uh, said, you know, ACR kind of accepting it and realizing the mistakes, etc. And if they um, handle the refunds of these games and say, look, like we didn't invest enough in security, but here's the refunds. And in the future, we're going to do a better job. And if we don't do a better job, we'll continue giving the refunds. And we're going to make sure we catch these guys. And if we don't catch these guys and we find out later, then, you know, we'll foot the bill. And I think that should be definitely what the community holds the sites responsible for because we play you know we structure our all our whole life about playing on these sites whether it be you know like uh chris said before we wake up we don't just like jump in the computer we study we do whatever we come we play we play maybe five six seven hours every day we make sure we live in countries so that we can play on certain sites uh and then after a year, if there's been, if if the games weren't safe that we invested our time and our money and uh everything into i think it's very crucial for the future of online poker that these refunds are done correctly otherwise people will be put off and people won't keep playing and yes online poker might have gone up by 25 percent but in the past there was full tilt and poker stars which ran well, well at least post black friday we had poker stars and a few of the sites which were had regulators and stuff which they couldn't get around and increase their traffic at such high extremes now with the introduction of let's say bitcoin or playing on vpns or whatever it is from different countries on different sites of course the um of course the numbers are going to go up uh, if they weren't going up they would be very we'd be in a very very bad state because the access to online poker is a lot easier now than it was let's say four or five years ago pre-covid um but yeah to answer your question i think i'm definitely standing by what i said in the video i think every i stand by every every word of that for sure um yep okay so um, to Go ahead, Rob. If, if you don't mind, because no, you, you addressed a couple of things um, about, so there, there was a good quote from Nagy who told me uh, over the phone. Uh, he said, no amount of money will, will ever be worth uh, integrity, right? 
and he wants online, you know, he wants his kids to play online poker uh, in 10 years, uh, if it's still around, 20 years, uh, it's still around. And he said, look, however much money these bad actors uh, may have taken out of the poker community, I do wanna, I do wanna just, actually, I'll just, I'll just answer this first, but we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later about the shark tip stuff, because there's a lot of inaccuracies. Um, any amount of money that has been taken out will 100% be refunded and very transparent. And he wanted to make that very, very clear to you guys that, look, he cares. Of, uh, I don't know if you've talked with, I assume you've probably talked with Phil. Um, if you know Phil personally, he is so passionate about uh, on, online poker and it being around for as long as possible and, you know, putting endless resources into uh, everything we can do to try to make uh, situations better, right? So. Uh, I just wanted to talk about this, those two things that you brought up real quick. So and that's great. That's obviously really good news. That's exactly what the community wants to hear. I think. I think. I think. Uh, in terms of Phil Nagy, I think he gets a very uh, hard time. I think from everything I've seen, he he seems to have uh, both online and live poker's interests really well. This is why when I did the um, this video last week, it wasn't about ACR. I reiterated this again and again and again. It's just that before there was full tilt and poker stars, now there's five, six, seven different sites, and all of them have different issues. It's not an ACR as a problem. I think ACR is great for poker. I think Phil Nagy is great for poker. I just feel like the structure of everything could just be improved. Like it could be on any site, and like every site in history could always have been improved. But this was never an attack against Phil Nagy or anything like that. And uh, I hope, oh, an attack against ACR. I hope you guys wouldn't think that. You know, it was a, it was a more the online poker has this issue. Sites need to invest in security. Um, I think I mentioned, you know, John's here from WPT. It's it's obvious to see that security is a big thing for them, and I think that's great for for players to see. And I know a lot of people have started playing there because they realize that people like John, who used to be, you know, like a high stakes player himself and still plays poker and understands it, is kind of involved in the security team. Whereas, and he's kind of like a face almost. Whereas at ACR or maybe other places, we just we we don't really know what's what's going on. Maybe it's not as transparent or whatever. Yeah, I I think that that's a good follow up uh for for john specifically where um you know when we're talking about uh the video that you put out and uh kind of addressing the community and saying like let's hold these sites accountable we're looking for the the retribution right you you very well um you, you put it very well in saying that they're not stealing from the sites they're stealing from us until the refunds are issued so that's that's really where the the rubber meets the road here is that okay we've we've outed these things we see that you know people are getting banned across the board uh you know project baby got caught on global um i, I believe that, that was who it was uh using wizard in a lazy way and there was like no refunds it was like six cents or six dollars whatever per person um now there's this potential massive bot ring on acr being uncovered which is going to be seven figures one way or the other, whether it's 1 million or 10 million uh, over the past few years, it seems as though it's at least going to be a seven figure ring if proven true. Um, where do we start holding them accountable? Like how much time passes before we take action? And I guess like the question that I have for John, speaking from the security side is what type of transparency can we as a community expect? Because currently there's just absolutely none. And I'm wondering how much of that has to do with security protocols versus just kind of uh, the business taking a stance and saying like, well, you, the public, don't really need to know 
exactly what's going on behind closed doors? Yeah, so I think it's absolutely on the operator to be more transparent. We actually released a paper on this a year ago. So just for context, like I work for a company called A5 Labs. We do all the de product development and, and tech development for not just WPT Global, but there's three other scans that are primarily Asia facing, facing on the network. Um, and we released a paper talking about this, how not only should there be more transparency, but it's it's beneficial for some of these operators to work together, maybe not sharing tech, but at least sharing you know the information about different problems that they have, sharing um, you know players who were banned, right? So that there's there's more of a, a penalty as for especially you know um, you know take the the Jake and Ali example, yeah. right? Like. When that happens on GG, of course, we're going to go look through our site and see if they're playing or if there's accounts, you know, that could mimic some of the information that we got from GG that, that maybe they didn't KYC with their name, but we want to understand if they're playing on there. So I think all of that's a good thing. One of the problems that we face is anytime we market something about tech, one, a lot of people don't care because it's, you know, a nerdy topic. It's, it's hard to understand, especially when you get into talking about like machine learning models um and uh you know second i think the the players generally distrust the sites like we can say that we're doing a lot of things but unless there's a way for the community to kind of validate it that it works and that um especially the bigger voices in the community trust the process then we can say every you know anything that we want and most of the players kind of are like yeah whatever like a you know of course, the sites are going to say their security is great, but how do we actually know that we're safe, right? How how can we trust that the games are fair, that I'm not getting cheated? Yeah. So, I mean, especially going forward, this has been something that's been on our plate for a while, but we, whether it's through, you know, adding features in the app or, or working closer with bigger voices in the community who are an objective third party um, to understand our processes and, and you know, um, give us their feedback. It's it's something that's important, and I think these scandals kind of push that to the forefront in the way that you know operators have to be accountable now, or people are going to stop playing, especially at high stakes. Um, I know there are like a lot of close friends of mine. Some of some of the guys who are the best in the world in tournaments or cash game don't feel safe playing on online right now. Like they're not playing high stakes on GG. They're not playing high stakes uh, on other on other platforms. So, sure. um, yeah. Sorry. Um... Sorry to interrupt. I, I do have a question uh, in regards to that because um, Phil, in his response, did extend his hand to uh, any other operator to, to work together. Um, but then I was talking to, I forget who I was talking to, and they said something about, uh, especially when it comes to band accounts, um, it's a, yeah, it's findable or it's, it's illegal to uh, potentially share uh, protocols or share uh, band accounts. Is there any validity to this? Because uh, I me, I, I, I know. Now. In, in different countries, there's different data privacy laws, right? So, like the European Union is the most strict. Um, like whatever, people that yeah. don't work for the operations subsidiary there, anyone outside there can't look at any customer information. But I, I'm not sure how that applies in the B2B perspective. Like if we share account information. Like for example, one of our vendors, they have a feature where, let's say, PokerStars is their client or an online crypto site. If they discover a fraud ring and they notice different device or IP or, or signatures at those fraud rings, we actually see that in our backend that we don't get the specific personal information about the customer, but we know that this 
this account or geolocation or device was associated with the fraud ring. So things like that, you can almost definitely share um, and they service even all the online regulated um, operators. Yes. So I wonder as a follow-up, is it a viable solution to have a third party um, kind of be an intermediate, uh, you know, play, play mediator uh, between all of the sites and pass all of this information back and forth, like whether it's a black book or, or what have you, uh, in order to ensure that, you know, the sites themselves are in compliance, but there is a third party that uh, actually has access to like all of the, the, the potential accounts that need to be policed. I, I, I feel like it, it makes sense in theory. I just, I have no idea about uh, like that some third party is going to have to take the responsibility and be incentivized to do that, which is always right. the, the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel like in theory that would be like the obvious solution, but I don't know in practice if that is ever going to be a thing. All right, boys, uh, you want to start a security team? Like, uh, I think we got uh, some high-minded individuals here. Um, I, I wanted to actually touch on something John said about communicating with like other people, um, you know, the, mostly the players and people that aren't well within some of these companies. Like, I think there's like a, a lack of communication for a lot of the the providers um, with the players, um, and I think it would help to have like an ambassador or some kind of uh, respected member of the community be more vocal within their respected sites um, so that we can have some people from the security team talk to these people, educate these people, and then these people can talk to the players and make them, you know, a little, feel a little better about what's going on at least. Um, I feel like there is a lack of kind of, you know, whatever site, enter name here, you have the security team who obviously it's amazing that John is on right now. Um, because it's hard to have access to questioning and it's hard to have access as a player to any concerns that we actually have. Um, so what we have to do is rely on a lot of the ambassadors or a lot of the players that are more front facing. Um, and oftentimes I find like they're not as educated as they could be. Um, so like, is it, is it kind of a, is it a, I guess you could say it might be a security risk to have like ambassadors, you know, come into the security uh, offices or to educate them more on what's happening, because I, I think that that could help a lot with easing the minds of a lot of players. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really good point. Uh, and it's kind of the onus behind why I wanted to do this panel today. Uh, we are kind of left in the dark a lot as a community, but we're heavily involved. Like we, we play a heavy role in actually securing these sites. So like John coming on today, I think is just like such a massive step forward for what any of the sites were willing to do as far as, uh, I kind of, sorry, go ahead. Am I disconnecting? No, you're here. No, you're good. Um, but as far as, uh, like what the sites are willing to do in keeping us in the loop, uh, you good. Uh, Rob's having a potato moment. Don't mind him. Um, more importantly though, uh, I, I think that it's, it's critical that we have somebody represent the security team, right? And uh, I, I understand where, where Chris is coming from saying like, well, maybe we get the ambassadors to kind of play that role. 
play the 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 go between when it comes to the community and the security team and i think that that's maybe a good idea but then i think you probably have to be a little bit more critical about who becomes ambassadors for these sites you probably want somebody who plays the role more of a consultant than um you know just a, a popular name or face that you can roll out there for marketing purposes and maybe there's some sort of uh delineation between uh, you know, what roles these certain ambassadors play. But the most specific thing here that I think is critical is that we have a direct line to somebody in security at these sites. And, you know, I know for like guys like Matt and Pads, uh, you probably have contacts where you can, you know, send information and get it run up the flagpole pretty quickly. But there are a lot of people in the mid and low stakes that don't have that same access. And I think that, that is probably the part that hurts the consumer trust the most is that it's this trickle down effect where you know the high state guys they're policing their environment and they're doing a pretty good job because it's small uh it's it's a very small player pool everybody kind of knows each other um you know they're they're communicating in group chats with one another they're in discords they're doing their best to like, you know, raise red flags whenever a random account pops up and, you know, maybe playing stats that are just ungodly. Um, it's a lot more difficult in the general populace. Whenever you start to look at the mid stakes, when you start to look at these large field MTTs, gathering that data now becomes uh, a, a very tedious, uh, I, I guess, you know, multiple uh, layer type of process. And in that instance, you know, being able to communicate back and forth with somebody that can make some sort of positive change is really critical. So, I, I mean, I'm saying all this basically just to thank John for putting himself out there and thank WPT Global for, for being willing to divulge a little bit more. Um, but I wanted to echo kind of what, what Chris is saying, where this is, uh, I think, maybe an expectation that we should have moving forward of these sites is to be a lot more forward-facing a lot more open and honest with the consumer base um and you know we don't need to know what you're doing in order to catch these people but i think like being a little bit more transparent with what the protocols actually are and uh you know where where we are most protected would would go a really long way um i want to pivot okay, a little bit oh go ahead I, uh, no yeah, yeah please sorry well, it, it's yeah. probably useful at some point to get into problem definitions because there are a bunch of different problems and, and the approach to either communicating with the community or actually detecting it are all different between collusion, yeah. like a, let's say a fully automated bot, RTA, MDA, which is going on. I know it's a huge problem in tournaments, right? Um, but I, I I do agree that it, it it is useful to be more transparent. For us, like we've, uh, obviously I'm biased as a former poker player myself, but we've worked close with the community Um in, in investigations, but then also with consultants, we have a group of poker consultants like Nick, P, and, and Devoris or two that mm -hmm. um, contribute a bunch of our research, especially around GTO and, and RTA detection. Uh, but I don't think we've done a really good job of communicating or marketing to, or working with the community on actually making it um, consumable and transparent for how these products actually affect the, the integrity of the game. Yeah, I think and that's I, true. And Go ahead, Rob. Uh, I, I just want to touch base on this because I'm, I'm actually generally uh, curious and ACR is most certainly uh, going to be listening. What would you guys like to see uh, when you say transparency with security? I, I think it's, I, I feel as if it's kind of obvious that we can't say, 
um, oh, this is how we're catching bots. Um, right. Uh, because, you know, then then the, the, the guys creating bots can kind of get ahead of that and try to beat it, right? Um, so what would uh, what would the panel like to see and you know uh, if it's this these are things i want to push for right like i want to hear your guys answer and uh pat you, you have your hand raised so uh let's let's get to it yeah i mean i mean we we have a high stakes council that myself and matt are both in it's got 125 players like probably 125 of the top 150 high stakes players in the world and anyone you should, who you gets... should add me a second to lower the average to like you know top like ten thousand players or something <laughs> anyone who anyone who gets to high stakes and sits down in a high stakes table is automatically kind of like flagged by this community like, oh where's this guy come from he has a flag from x does anyone know him you ask around the community oh he plays this foul we haven't seen this oh this is suspicious oh we run this in gto wizard and he takes this line which is a very unhuman line he check calls I mean, river with that nice actually yeah was, uh well was... we've for the last one two years we've been sending these people to acr with uh, including the bot farm. We didn't just one day make a friend on 2 plus 2 and be like, let's cause World War II. Everyone's position in this community is, let's not put it public. Let's not scare everyone. We have this information. We can catch people very early. People like who work in, I think, uh, John's team and ACR's team, et cetera, they're very good at catching people over, let's say, 10,000 hands or 20,000 hands because you find similarities in stats, whether it be fold to turn probe or fold to river probe or fold to delay check race, like very intricate stats where bots will play similar to GTO where humans might not. Whereas um, we can find these players pretty quickly, you know, in the first 100 hands, they're already like, who the fuck's this guy? Why is he here? Who is he? You know, so we can find these people a lot quicker. And we have been sending these people to sites, but there hasn't been that, um, you know, connection between ourselves and the sites. I know Nananoko was in charge of the security team for the last year, and it felt, without trying to call him out, because, you know, legend in the, in the community, whatever, we basically... We didn't get anywhere, and we would. And this is again 125 players who are spending every day working together. Uh, I think if if a poker side came and said you can have these 125 high stakes players who understand data, who understand people, who know everyone, who have the best contacts, the best links, I think a site would pay these people. You know, uh, if not eight figures, definitely seven figures. You know, this is the best security team you can kind of get. Um, yeah. But we just don't get listened. We feel like we just don't get listened to. We feel we we were the people who called the super user on GG. We were the people who called the bot farm on ACR. We are the people who have also closed down hundreds of accounts on all the sites. Uh, and it feels like the sites are maybe forced to listen to us now because it's gone public where we haven't put other things public. But um, the sites really need to Im improve that. And just pushing back on what John said that you can say you have a good security team, but of course, you're going to say this. This is why the role of the ambassador is so crucial. I think there's different layers of ambassadors. I'm not asking all in path to come out of me like this is how the security team works. I understand that he is showing the site off on Twitch, whatever. That's fine. I think you have guys who wear a patch, go around the world wearing a patch and doing it. I'm not expecting these kind of guys to come out and say how the security works or if the site's fair. Of course, they're spending their time doing other things, but People who are the face of the site, they're the face of fairness. People put money onto the site because these people stand by it, put their picture on the front of the site. And I think if they're not spending their time wearing a patch going around the world to play stuff, they're spending their time in the security teams. And if, let's say Ike was a pro at WPT, if he said, look, I'm going to go to the office for two weeks and make sure I know everything, and I'm going to tell you everything's fair and you're playing on a safe site, I would be like, okay, I don't need to know anything. I don't need to know any transparencies of how things work. I trust you, Ike. And then if something comes out that there was a big bot scandal, 
Ike's going to be the one who I go to and say, okay, Ike, now you come and tell us what the fuck is going on and what you're going to do about it. And it feels like at GG and ACR over the last uh, couple of weeks, it was we, we didn't have that. This is why I really respect Rob, uh, Chris, uh, both Chris Moneymaker, Ebony, coming out and kind of doing something, even if it wasn't done in the right way, trying to be that face of fairness and being like, look, I, like Chris Moneymaker's words were basically like, we don't have bots. Our security team is really good, you know, and that's fine. If he wants to come out and say that, then that's fine. And then we have to question him. If it's not, if we see different ourselves, then we question him. And then Moneymaker or whoever's the face of the site, that's the person who we question. So I don't think John should come out and be like, this is what our protocols are. But there should be an ambassador there who's the face of fairness, who says, I've spoken to John. I trust John's team 100%. If anything happens, come to me and I will come and speak out and be that face so, of fairness. I think that's uh, crucial. Uh, two two things there. First, I would love to be out of this group. Uh, uh, you know, please. Uh, we, have offered, we, have, we have we have offered we have we've offered Nanoka to add whoever in ACL to to the group. For yeah, I am so. I, I wish you guys understood. Um, like you know, look, I don't have to come on this podcast, right? I am so. I am so fucking passionate about this stuff. I can't stand cheating. Um, if, if, if a lot of you guys know that the time banks on, um, on ACR went from two minutes to 45 seconds, this was me screaming at people when GTO Wizard came out and I started seeing regs at 10%. I started seeing a lot more overbats. I started seeing, because I do a lot of player reports, right? So like I, I start to see these uh, anomalies and these, you know, these perfect combo bluffs or these perfect combo uh, call downs and I mark it and then I check it. And then, you know, so I'm just like, oh my God, like obviously this was a big issue. And now that uh, people don't have much time to act, um, I know you posted a tweet that like, if you're playing, uh, this was quite a while ago, you know, if you're playing 18 tables or whatever, and you can get off your one uh, RTA thing, go for it. But like, I don't want any cheating. You know what I mean? So like, I've done everything in my power to to make sure um, to make sure like RTA is completely uh, stopped. And now they're starting to allow me uh, to know a lot more about security, which um, uh, that's that's another thing I want to talk about. You said in your guys' council you guys can see anomalies and stats within uh, 100, 200 hands. That was something that um, I talked to uh, the head of security yesterday about, and he said, I'm not gonna say the number of hands, um, but he said with the, with the new programs and the uh, new protocols, they're going to be able to see anomalies uh, 10 times faster uh, than previous. So. Um, uh, along with, you know, along with the uh, tenfold higher. So I, I'm very excited about uh, the state of which ACR direction is going, you know, uh, whether, you know, this has been, an, and, and for what it's worth, this isn't like just something that it's like, oh shit, um, ACR is under attack, we need to act. This, these things have been in motion, uh, particularly this one thing I'm, uh, I'm talking about, um, have been in motion for a while, uh, this bot detection stuff, you know, the risk indicators and all this stuff. So um, just wanted to talk about that. But I, yeah, in this group, you know, I, I'm so, I spend so much of my time uh, just talking to ACR and trying to, to help out with so many different things. So, uh, John, can you, you know, kind of, uh, can you kind of speak to that a little bit from the security side? Like, um, you know, w with what Pads is talking about this, this, 
team of of high stakes regs is this something that security would be interested in collaborating with in in what sense do you, like i so going back to what he was talking about I, like the high stakes problem is different than mid stakes or or low stakes right, right like if right. if they're a sophisticated cheating operation at mid or low stakes their goal is to actually scale so they can make money high mm -hmm. stakes is more nuanced where usually it's like one or two accounts or a very small group working together to to do something and, and avoid detections because high stakes is usually under a microscope. Like for us personally, I can say there, I, I know from playing the high stakes community small. So it's extremely suspicious when somebody comes on, they have no, uh, like online po or poker identity. They start playing high stakes, they deposit a lot and they're playing really well. Like that's something that we look into right away. Right. Right. Um, like it working with a big group of pros around solutions. Like I, I, I'm always open to taking the feedback, but then it can be arduous. I know there's a lot of ideas and being on both sides, I think maybe there are some misconceptions about the right approach to solutions or what tech should be used to, to like achieve that. Yeah. Um, but for sure, like get, getting their feedback around players in the game or, you know, like if, if they know who players are, things like that are, are super valuable. We've had a lot of our biggest profile or highest profile cases have come from working with the community where either an insider in the group comes forward because they want a reward or someone reports something because they hear rumors and we're able to validate on validate it on our end. Yeah. Um, I think I was speaking them, yeah. mostly to the latter yeah. point, not, not really them offering you solutions. I, I think yeah, one we, thing, I mean, as, as long have... as there's, Sorry, yeah, as long as they're like, we get a lot of reports about cheating. One of the features that we have in cash games is you can pay and see everyone's card after the hand is completed. So players see something weird, they report it, and there's not a lot of context or information. And a lot of times it's just like a, someone bitching about bad beating. But the, the players who take the time to, to fill out and give us some context or provide a report, like more often than not, that ends up leading to some type of uh, successful investigation when they are, are convinced and give us some data or information uh, about the case. Yeah. Uh, was that you so, trying to talk about? Yeah, yeah. I think one thing that is gonna just, probably one of the biggest frustration points, <clears throat> speaking to what Pads was talking about, is that it seems like the ambassadors for a lot of these sites represent the sites, but they don't represent the players and the yeah. players' interests. And so that's sort of the, the vibe shift that would have to happen for people to feel like, I'm just going to talk about the emotion that's in this group because I'm in this group is frustration. We're frustrated that we can't get in touch with people in a meaningful way. Um, Matt, you actually said that you thought that pads and I could easily get in touch with people. We actually can't. It's actually a lot harder than you think it is. Yeah. 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 And to get any meaningful change done on the site, it, it's like we, you, you wouldn't believe the amount of like times we have to try to ping people and communicate. The reason that this whole thing went public is because the only, seems like the only tool that we might have is to go public because when we talk to people in private, um, nothing gets done. I honestly, I direct messaged Nananoko um, months ago asking him if we could have set something up between, you know, some, a very professional email basically saying, can we set something up? I want to have, I want to communicate better between the sites and the player. Um, it was really um, a thoughtful message. And we said, you know, whatever, we'll talk to you next year. It was clearly totally blowing it off. And now, of course, once this whole thing goes public, oh, now we want to all join hands in the community and you know, sing songs. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> but if, that's what it, if that's what it takes. But just going back to this feeling of frustration, um, it, 
just because you know we have this the one thing about the high stakes uh uh discord as well is that these guys because they're all coaches like a lot of our coaches and own stables are prominent members of the community we actually have a, like a ton of influence because people like have stables um so it's just maybe it's 125 players but it affects thousands of people because we can easily direct where the traffic goes and we have like i've had tons of people very upset that play small to mid stakes by the botting situation. And I might not always be coaching them personally. So it's harder for me. That's where, um, you know, it's like, that's why we feel frustrated. Whereas high stakes players, we want to step up, especially because we have the most resources, we have the most influence and we want so badly to work with the site, but it just hasn't felt like it's gotten heard so far. Yeah. I, I agree with um, Matt about, maybe holding like ambassadors to a higher standard when it comes to being a, a form of communication. Um, because so I joined ACR stormers, which is, you know, a step below the ACR pros. Um, it's mainly like a Twitch, uh, community that you know, promotes ACR. Um, but also it's, a step forward for me personally as a player to have more communication with ACR because I play on ACR. And I do think it's really important for a lot of the ambassadors to be consistently playing on these sites that they're promoting. Also, I think they need to be educated to a certain degree about security. It doesn't have to be, you know, the ins and outs of uh, AI or anything like that, but it has to be a base level of understanding of, okay, so what are the protocols uh, that are, you know, fundamental to running a safe site you know what are the threats uh that are consistently happening you know it's just i think that um there should be a little bit more of an onus on some of the people that are representing these sites to have that i don't want to say authority to make change but i i want to believe that you know i joined acr because i believed i could make a change you know i could have more communications i can bring that perspective from the players i can also talk to the security team and then bring that to the you know um other you know content creators as well and have discussions and stuff like that so i do agree and to um rob's question earlier about you know what do you want to see from these sites. I think it's a lot to do with not only transparency, but consistency, because a lot of these sites like to seem like they're transparent. And then when it comes to, you know, consistently putting out numbers or consistently talking about things and updates, then they go radio silent until there's another issue. So like, I think that having a combination of, you know, educated ambassadors, an open channel for communication with some of these groups like Matt and Pads are, you know, belonging to, um, then that will help, you know, fuel the, the feeling of being more safe on these sites. Yeah, I, I agree completely with Chris, but I think also how GG did it initially with this with the Integrity Council is was really good. You know, I think if ACR, for example, had an Integrity Council with let's say Rob, Moneymaker, all people who have like different levels of responsibility, but different levels of maybe uh, skill sets too. You know, Rob understands online stuff, Moneymaker understands the live stuff. He's a good face for it. I think if ACR had say five guys on a panel who met once a month with the ACR security team, and if there is any big issue, this the 
uh, integrity council come together and make a statement of, of what's what what's happened. You know, I think that would be really good. The problem is with the GG Security Council is that when this stuff happens, there's not like a Twitter from the they don't have like a, a Twitter account or they don't like we don't see anything. You know, so I think if every t if every site had an integrity council who's the face of fairness and worked with uh, let's say John and and people in those kind of positions, then when shit does hit the fan, they are kind of the face of it because they're the ones who were putting the they're the ones we're putting the our trust in almost. You know, because if we see GG have an integrity council, we're like okay. They're the integrity council. They're going to make sure that the site has integrity and works well and does everything correctly. Uh, and if nothing happens, we don't need like monthly statements of all this kind of stuff. But if when shit does hit the fan, we want to hear from them, you know. So I think ACR adding their own integrity council, I think, could go a long way. And I think both of you guys would obviously be great to be on there. Um, I think you could build a, a really good team. And I think it would it would help a lot with transparency and you could answer questions and, you know, come on podcasts like this one, like you're doing now, you know. It's, it's funny you mention that because I actually uh, pushed that idea uh, quite a while ago and it was actually pretty well received. And then I guess I, I feel like we just didn't follow up with it enough uh, to actually make it happen. But um, on, on the terms of security, we do get briefed on uh, new updates uh, and security. Uh, we literally just had a meeting right before Christmas that went uh, very well, I thought. Um, but it would be really nice if we did have something like an integrity council where we meet with security, um, we're updated and we can kind of give like a state of the union, uh, to the, to the public. Um, it, it would be, um, look, I want everyone to feel very, very comfortable when playing online. I'm a player too, right? Like I'm not just an ambassador. I'm always going to be a player first. So, you know, something like that, I think is a, a really, really rock solid idea and something i'm going to really advocate for yeah I, I have to say like um there's just a huge disconnect and you know putting out a daily show like this and having to do a lot of digging and my own research and things of that nature um there's just way too much left to public discourse to kind of dissect without uh people who are in the know kind of stepping in and explaining so a, a great example of this is the shuffle back feature that ACR implemented in PLO and PLO 8. Uh, the amount of misunderstanding that the general public has with how this feature works and the amount of, um, uh, I guess, confusion as to how it changes the game or in all reality does not actually change the game is insane to me. It's mind-boggling. Like, it's it's also very understandable, right? Like... Most people, especially if the games are healthy and good, uh, aren't going to understand that when somebody folds their out or whatever, uh, that doesn't help them the way that they think it does, right? Like, if all things are equal and nobody is colluding, then you just assume a full deck anytime you're staring at a flush draw, right? You just assume that the nine outs are in the deck because that's the way that we treat imperfect information. So the notion that like, well, if a buddy of yours says, uh, you know, I have, I have two hearts and the guy next to him is like, well, I folded the ace of hearts, that kind of thing. Like now the deck is more rich with your outs. Like that type of confusion can be cleared up so easily by somebody who's in the know coming to a public space, being able to be articulate and explain it very well. 
and not leaving it up to the public discourse to kind of figure out. And that's just like one tiny small thing, right? Because I think that that is an innovative advancement in security. And, you know, maybe it does have problems that I'm not particularly seeing. Um, but I think, and, you know, I don't want to speak for you, John, but like maybe you can kind of touch on this a little bit. I think that, you know, as technology evolves, so does the security, so does the game itself. And uh, also, like, as study evolves, the game is going to have to evolve too. Like, live poker is really having a facelift, specifically live cash. The games that I play in are, you know, rich with antes and stand-up games and uh, seven-deuce bounties and anything that you can imagine that creates a multiplayer environment that kind of just monkey wrenches whatever uh, predetermined strategy that you wanted to bring to the game. And I imagine that online is going to move in the same direction, not only from a, uh, a keep the ecosystem alive standpoint, but also from a security standpoint, because a lot of these things I would imagine, and you can touch on this, John, if you like, uh, would be helpful to security when it comes to catching uh, potential cheaters and also just like preventing them to begin with. Yeah, I... Well, I, that anytime you introduce or change a format, there's going to be some delay for for them to like if you take our tier bot, for example, to yeah. adjust their strategies. I, I think more generally, um, like these formats that play in the private games are just more fun. Like we we have antis right. in all of our cash games, and when you actually look at how that changes the strategy, the the solutions are a lot more complex. There's a lot more nodes. You have to play more hands. It's harder for a human to execute that in uh, a really effective way compared to six max no limit cash with no ante right mm -hmm. it's a when you when you play deep and there's an ante in the game the strategy is way more complex so in theory it it should be uh there should be more information for us to like identify outliers or rank players in the way that we can have a candidate list for someone who might be using rta um so i think all those things are good like the double board bomb pots, the, the recreational players like it. It mixes up things in the game. Stand-up game is great. Um, I guess the only caveat is is when you do change the incentives, um, like if you take stand-up as an example, which actually like has a lot of tournament mechanics in it when um, you start to get later in the game yeah. and players, you know, so the only two players are, are still standing. Uh, it does increase, it, it increases incentives for collusion, but yep. because the, the incentives are so big, in some ways it should be more obvious for us to detect too, if that makes sense, right? Yep. Like, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, in general, all those things are, are good. And I I'm probably don't, I don't know if we, I want to talk about the roadmap or if I'm allowed to, but we are doing a lot of these things, you know, coming up in the next few quarters for on the, on the product development side to make the games more engaging um without changing it too much because play a lot of poker players are fickle if you just kind of create a new format and push it on players they don't play yeah, yeah. One, one thing i noticed at wpt global um i've put in a decent amount of hands there as well um that they have a lot of nine max games um a Eight, lot yeah. of like three yeah. blind games right like um I think that was great because <laughs> as a pro, I was like, oh crap, now I got to study all these things and all these new, like, you know, additions to the game that I'm not used to. How am I going to adjust to here? And it felt kind of like a little bit of the wild west when I first joined on playing on that site. Um, uh, it didn't, it seemed like a lot of people were gambling. It, sound, it seemed like the games were actually really good. Um, I, I, I was like 
selfishly trying not to tell a lot of people about them because I thought there was a lot of good action over there. Um, but my, I guess my question is like those kinds of games, it seems like they were very effective in bringing in, you know, players and new scenarios, which might not have been botted yet, or might not have been studied yet by, uh, you know, people with access to solvers and, and whatnot. So like, should we lean more towards these like eight max, nine max games with three blinds, with four blinds, with figuring out what, you know, puts more of a wrench in, um, poker AI, because, you know, I think there's an important onus to also keep ahead of what's being solved, right? Like we're not offering uh, heads up, no limit hold'em very often anymore in a lot of these sites, right? We're not offering heads up limit hold'em. These games have been, you know, solved for a while now. So like, is, is it, do you see like the games pushing towards these more, you know, different formats like Berkey was talking about? Yeah, I, I don't think that is going to drive the development roadmap, though. Like, we, we had this discussion around developing stand-up game. Um, like, the, there was some discussion around whether collusion could be a problem and, and, and whether the recreational players would lose more. And I personally think that we should pick the most engaging products so that we can bring recreational players along, keep the games healthy, and solve. it's on us to solve the security issues, right? Like, I don't want to create... If there is, you know, maybe there's an extreme example where it's just if we release a certain format and if we can't police it, then of course we shouldn't do it. But I, I don't, I think that generally it should be driven by what the, the players want. Like if they're having fun playing it at a home game or in a live game and there's interest for it, we should, you know, experiment and try to try to launch that to see if, you know, they're going to play it a bunch in the cash games or, or, you know, different tournament formats. You think like removing six max online could potentially be a beneficial thing? I, I mean, it, it is better for the recreational players. I, one thing that we do is that we we have a uh, machine learning algorithm that assesses skill, and we reserve seats at the table almost like a home game. So because of our, our Asian partners, the liquidity in the cash games, uh, as far as recreational player goes, is really high, and it allows us to um, essentially like limit the seats, the number of seats that the, the, the professional players or high-skilled players can occupy. So when a lot of the pros learn about this feature, they are excited about it because they know if they start tables and get the games going, they're not going to be the table of, you know, eight, there are, you know, seven pros and one recreational player. Right. So it kind of rewards the, the pros who are willing to battle. And then when they do, they get into a good game. So I, I think like things like that are good for keeping the ecosystem healthy, regardless of all these challenges with players getting better. And then the skill gap between recreational players and professional players has grown a lot in the last 10 years because of solvers. Um, so I, I do think that it, it's on the operator to also think through the ecosystem and how to you know keep the poker dream alive. I know we we touched on that a little bit, where pure segmentation doesn't work, but there there's there's always a middle ground, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that's really innovative and and smart. It's actually kind of similar to how live games in the semi-private realm begin. You know, you get uh, a couple guys who are willing to organize. And uh, from there, it just becomes uh, a full game that's really good. And then the list is obviously, like, very pro-heavy. And sometimes the games break before they get in. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, kind of sticking on the side of security while we have you, John. Uh, could you speak a little bit about uh, the, the KYC protocols? Like, why stronger KYC protocols aren't executed uh, in the non-regulated markets, I know Stars and and Party um, kind of got crushed a little bit, so I think this is a topic worth uh, speaking about. 
And a follow-up to that is, would the stronger KYC protocols lead to uh, more secure games? For example, uh, would it allow for real names uh, at the table? Is that something that's desirable by the security? Uh, and then, you know, once he kind of gives his answers, I'd like to hear from the players, like, is that desirable from the, the players? Yeah, so first, the reason that the, the these unregulated or gray markets, uh, the KYC is loose is because it's better for, for user acquisition, right? Like, if you have to ask for less information, yeah. you can get people depositing and playing. So the, the marketing business development team is always going to be pushed for more relaxed regulate or more relaxed KYC. Um, obviously, there are certain markets that <clears throat> are regulated that have very strict KYC even before you make a deposit. So for me, I... We take in, in these gray markets, we take a risk based approach and aggressively KYC. We do things like even interview the players um, uh, to, to validate that they are who they say they are. We make them play on webcam or record sessions, things like that. Um, but there's, like I said, there's always pushback from like the, the acquisition team around doing this to like at scale for the, for the whole platform. Generally, when I speak to a lot of high stakes players, they're happy to share as much information as they can, especially so that they know who is playing in the games that they're playing in. Like, uh, I know Fun Ocean had the webcam feature. I think people still figured out a way to, to manipulate that. But um, for, for the most part, like the, especially at high stakes, players are open to, to share whatever they want if it makes the game safer. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I answered your questions. Already. Yeah, no, you know, you did very well. Uh, Matt, is from a player standpoint, is that something that you would like to see executed on uh, a little bit more, like the real names in, in game uh, countries, uh, et cetera, like basically as much information on the player that you're playing against as possible? Well, it definitely helps when you're doing this whole self-policing thing, especially with the countries. If you see a ton of people from the same country, similar patterns makes it a lot easier for you. And I think most people that play high stakes I'm not going to say unanimous, but most people actually are in support of the real name thing, like GG Poker does, where let's say if you're playing 2550 or above for any meaningful period of time, you have your real name um, displayed, essentially, which, of course, is just another layer of making it much easier to identify. So if some complete unknown sits and wants to play, you know, 10K and L against the best players in the world, that's going to, you know, raise a lot of red flags immediately. Um, so that's another thing that we'd definitely love to see. What's what's the downside uh, to real names? Like, why is this not being implemented site wide? Uh, why does it not become a standard? You guys think the problem? The problem, like from the cash side, Matt's com completely correct because it's easier to find people quickly. But from the tournament side, it encourages people to make uh, secondary or third or fourth accounts, uh, especially like you said, with a lack of KYC on some sites. If it's a real name game and you can open up a second account with a screen name instead of a real name then you have a big advantage when playing high stakes tournaments right. especially because the high stakes tournament scenes it's small but not as small as the cash game scene people will come and just play a 1k tournament or a 5k tournament or a 10k tournament it's not that unrealistic because of like live tournaments and people just want to gamble whatever yeah um like you might come and play online berkey and like say acr venom but you're probably not going to go and just start grinding like 50 or 100 online right so you get more right. people showing up so if if your real name and you know you can make a second account because of a lack of kyc then you suddenly have a pretty big advantage by especially if you can use a flag um, which is not your own, or on ACR where there's no flag at all, it's a lot harder to detect. Whereas let's say if there was a Welsh high-stakes MTT player, if uh, he turned up with a screen name from Wales, we'd probably be like, okay, this guy's come in the game. 
but when you can make an account and not show your um your country it's a lot tougher to detect these people with a second or third account or if you can actually make an account let's say via an agent with a country which you don't use then in tournaments especially it's a very big advantage to have uh to be playing with a screen name against people who are using real names and there's not a consistency on gg where everyone is real name it's like half real name half screen name based on if you're deemed like a high stakes crusher or not and it's also like who is making the decision if this guy's a high stakes crusher is it profit because you can play tournaments and just lose for years you know is it like stats is it whatever because there's a lot of people who are still screen name years later especially in tournaments who you know some of the best players in, in the world you know so it's it there is a lot it isn't as simple and there is definitely concerns which happen from uh, at least from the tournament side from the cash side i agree with matt's uh completely yeah uh yeah, yeah maybe good sorry good i i think like one of the concerns for mid-stakes players with real names um you know <sighs> Personally, I have my name out there on most people, you know, first of all, on ACR, I have a button that you can literally push and see my stream. So I'm basically playing with my real name all the time. But um, as a player perspective, sometimes you just don't want your real name out there as in terms of like, you know, some people are crazy, right? Like some people will look up your, you know, like, let's say you bad beat them in a pot, they'll look up your real name on Facebook or something and go over to your site or, you know, report you to your, your work for being, you know, whatever, because they're just, they're mad about losing a pot. So like, there's, there's some, like, that's the kind of thing that, you know, maybe shouldn't happen, but would probably happen more at mid stakes than high stakes. I think high stakes has a very like, you know, trustworthy community. Like there's a lot of stand up people in the high stakes community. Um, it's a lot smaller, you know, it makes a lot more sense to have real names in, in the high stakes, but for the mid stakes and the low stakes, there's a lot of like, um, you know, more people that are prone to potentially using information uh nefariously should i say yeah uh, I, I guess that my pushback there would be that the the mid stake specifically is like the the biggest target in my opinion for cheating because uh you have enough of a a, a player pool where you can put in real volume and if you're able to like let's say create a bot that's winning five big blinds per hundred and put that out in mass uh getting maximum volume out of it at those stakes and do it anonymously you're just gonna make a lot of money like you're probably going to rival some of the high stakes win rates uh and sure it you know should show up as an anomaly but you're not really doing anything that uh that crazy if if your win rate is relatively low you're getting a lot of rake back you're just cranking out a ton of volume um i i guess like what i'm hearing and and John, maybe you can speak to this if it's fair to say, but it seems like the KYC and uh, real names kind of go hand hand in hand. Like either it's a site-wide thing where no matter what stake level you're playing, whatever the case may be, you don't have uh, an alias. You just have a real name or it's kind of like this hybrid don't even bother. It only hurts the good player type of thing like what GG does. I well I, I think as far like I, I don't see the problem. I understand Patrick's concern with the real names uh in tournaments. For for cash games, I don't see the problem doing it and giving mm -hmm. players some incentive to switch too. Like yeah. whether we offer them increased loyalty or 
they're excluded from loyalty until they do it, um, things like that, then then you incentivize people to keep their accounts. Obviously, if you create a new account, you're going to cost yourself income over the course of the year. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, tournaments is a little tricky, though, I because it is, especially if, if players are kind of showing up randomly and playing high stakes just for like a series, it, it's more difficult to identify um, who we should force the real name or not. And then mm-hmm. somewhat of an unfair advantage kind of exists in that way. Yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but it, it surprises me that like sites like WSOP.com, um, you know, BetMGM, Stars, uh, United States, the, the the actual regulated sites, I'm really shocked that they haven't gone the real name route because their KYC is, I would imagine, as close to above board as possible. Um, and I would think well, that it would Going be... off what Chris said, it, it, yeah. it's also market specific too. Like. Right. In some of these gray markets, the recreational players just across the board don't want to share KYC information for the most part. They definitely don't yeah. want their real name out there. They have real jobs. There are some markets where it's like, uh, you know, like frowned upon for your from your family to be gambling, and they don't want that information out there. So we we have to address that. And if, if people don't want to share their, if the general customer base that drives the action, which is the recreational players, don't want to share real names, we can't force it on them, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very fair. Uh, all right, we've been at this for a while. Uh, I kind of just want to put a bow on this and and uh, maybe discuss solutions a little bit. Um, so I think we touched on a few things that are really important moving forward. First and foremost is some sort of direct line of communication between uh, operators and, uh, let's say, representatives of the player community, whether that is some sort of a board of trustees, uh, or advisors similar to what GG seems to have constructed, but maybe hasn't really followed through quite as much on, or it's something to the effect of, uh, you know, sort of like what Pads was talking about, where they have this already pre-organized group of high stakes regs that's, you know, kind of got their finger on the pulse of the game, doing a lot of work behind the scenes. Uh, some level of collaboration there seems like it would make everybody happy and uh, a little bit safer. Um, Pads, early in the in the show, you kind of mentioned that uh, you do want to uh, abide by what you said in that video and hold sites accountable uh, when it comes to, you know, refunding and ensuring that as this activity gets policed, the consumer base is rewarded or, or I guess like um, made whole for uh, what was stolen from them. What do you think... Or I should say, uh, let me rephrase that. Do you think it's reasonable to call for uh, site-wide boycotts if nothing is addressed when it comes to uh, this type of behavior? And if yes, do you think that this is something that could actually even be organized and followed through on? Um, well, I say first of all, definitely could follow. Definitely could. Um... Definitely could be addressed. Definitely could be organized. Definitely could be followed through on. the The economy of poker in general online is is controlled by quite a few small groups. You know, um, if you take the big one online, for example, on PokerStars a few years ago, it used to be 100k guaranteed. One day it dropped to let's say 40k during summer, and then a few stables said, "Look, like we we don't put players in tournaments where it has less than 500 runners." So suddenly it went from 40k to 30k. And then other people are well, I don't want to stake you for this. I went from 30k to 20k, and then now it's like 5k guarantee or whatever, right? So like, it's very easy. The in high stakes poker, especially high stakes, especially high variance games like tournaments, it's very easy for a few people to be like 
to come together, whether it be three or four stables or uh, groups like myself and Matt are in and be like, look, we're not going to play today or play tomorrow. Should that happen? I don't think so. I think um, I think people should make their own decision. Typically, like uh, I didn't. I mean, I'm, my hashtag is never miss a Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, I didn't play uh, poker online for the first time in a long, long time. Uh, I wouldn't want other people. Hey, didn't you get deep in the six thirty with me? That's not me, no. You're not. Oh my god, it's hilarious. No, I'm birthday cuddles. Um, oh, who was that? Fuck, I always thought uh, that was you. Wow, I interesting. No, obviously that, he's birthday cuddles bro i forgot he has birthday cuddles okay i thought that was you i had it mark wow, okay. no, I, I know who that is but i won't uh, say but, but anyway I, I i personally won't be playing on sites until things are either refunded or made right or like new protocols or whatever but i'm not going to shout about that and make a different video every single day and like encourage other people to do the same like i think everyone knows the information everyone knows what's happening and uh everyone knows who the ambassadors are for the site and it's in, it's in each person's decision what, what they want to do and uh i personally won't be you know given my rake towards support and stuff until i feel like it's appropriate to um but i wouldn't encourage other people to follow suit and i wouldn't try to organize a boycott i think boycott's very extreme um yeah so i think each person should should make their own mind up let, let me uh, just just touch base on something because this is this is directly from PR um, about a topic that Matt sent me. Uh, what can sites do to regain trust of their players? And one thing uh, that ACR is going to be doing is a lot more open communication. Uh, but secondly, and this goes, I didn't know that you guys had a, a high stakes uh, organization for this. This is so beautiful for me to read out loud. Uh, and this is a direct quote. We are very willing to partner with other sites and organizations to improve poker security for everyone wherever they may play. So I think you guys are, you know, uh, I'm going to advocate uh, a direct line for you guys to, just like I have, uh, to the head of security. Uh, I'm going to advocate very hard that the head of security uh, is either in that group or you guys have a direct line to him um, and, and the team uh, as a whole to uh you know, to enhance security, because uh, this is this is a, a no-joke matter, right? And we do need to take these things very seriously and, and just get better. Yeah, and in terms of, and one last thing about boycott, I, I would like to say that I think online poker probably today is more safe than it's been in a long, long time. You know, uh, the sites realize how fucking important this is, how much eyes are on this topic. I think they've also seen people have stopped playing, like myself. There's a lot of other people I know who have stopped playing too. I think they'll see those kind of numbers and they realize the importance and also like the magnitude of mistakes that they've made. And I feel like security uh, people who run these sites will be on top of the security. Like, look, you need to make sure everything's kind of going well and we have things worked out. And like Rob said, reach out to teams like myself and Matt are on. And I feel like just for people who are watching now, poker, I don't want to be like poker's doom and gloom. I, I want to be like poker's great. Poker probably is more safe today than it was one year ago because of what's happened. You know, sometimes you need something like this to happen to really kick people up the ass kind of thing. Um personally, like morally, ethically from I think the refunds are very, very crucial from this bot from case. And I think Rob has stated today that ACR's uh, number one uh, concern is to make sure these refunds are done correctly. And I feel like if ACR refund these bot things correctly, GG have already refunded the super user stuff uh, very quickly, almost like overnight after we came out of that. 
I think there's a lot of resources being put in from all the sites, like John with WPT, like ACR, like GG. I would just like people not to think online poker is unsafe and you shouldn't play online poker. Like if you're a recreational watching this, I really hope that I haven't influenced you in a way where you think online poker is doom and gloomed. I think it's a very safe, not a very safe place to play, but I think it's a lot safer than it was a year ago. And I think in one year's time, it will also be a lot safer than it is today. So uh, I, I want to challenge this a little bit. I, I agree with you that it's not all doom and gloom. gloom. I But I think it's, all, I'm, I'm willing to come on here and talk about this stuff because I'm confident and to you know, that we're at least moving in the right direction to address some of these problems. But I would want to also challenge other operators to at least share what they're doing, that we don't have to share how we're doing it, especially, you know, on like a detailed technical level. But it, like, I don't agree that, you know, um, us hiding all of our processes and tech around game integrity is is an advantage anymore. Like a, a lot of the guys that are, are doing this professionally or have some type of like bot operation or collusion or ghosting operation, they're very aware of the data that we collect. They're very aware of the type of tools that are used to catch them, right? So I, I would argue that it's not a huge competitive advantage for us to at least start giving information to the players about what's in place and the players holding the sites accountable that they're happy with that because I, I don't know anything about ACR, but I was surprised when I started it working and we were hiring player uh, uh, employees from other competitors to learn what they had as a former player. Um, so it, if if online poker is safer than ever, the, the, the sites or operators should validate that for the players, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they should, I should, I think they should validate that to the faces of their site, you know, like. Uh, like I said, an I go. Let's say I'm not. I'm not trying to push this on, but let's say J I know Jason Kuhn does do this. He speaks a lot with the security team and spends a lot of time. I know Elky, by the way, for example, probably the best ambassador we have in poker. He spends so much time whenever I have an issue. He's there, willing to talk all day, every day about cash game stuff, MTT stuff, bot stuff, real name stuff, everything. So there, are, there are ambassadors out there who are spending the time with the operators and with the players too. And I think if it becomes more organized rather than reactionary, I think that would be very good. I think if there's a thing set up uh, rather than just me going to Elky with an issue every six days, if there's something set up on all the sides with an integrity council, which is well-organized, well-funded, I think uh, if John tells Ike, for example, that and shows him that the site's safe, I think not everyone needs to know what the protocols are, you know? Like, we can kind of trust that he spent the time and we trust that he understands it better than we could understand it. Because I think 99% of players who play on the sites won't understand the protocols and the stuff which the security teams are doing because it's going to get to a level of sophistication, which is, uh, from an amateur's point of view, like, uh, uncomprehensible, I think. Um, yeah, but they should yeah. justify that sophistication to people like Ike or whoever that, that you know, has some deep understanding about poker and can understand the the technical solution from at least a high level about how it works. Even, I mean, we share sample cases with consultants all the time and get their inputs. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think all of those things are good things and would challenge competitors to also to do the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for people watching, if a site does come up and does, does this kind of well-organized security council, integrity council, and they follow through with monthly updates and they're, showing their face and standing up when things go bad then you know support these sites invest in these sites and put your money there play on those sites because those are the sites which will be here in one year three year five years ten years you know the sites which don't do that who knows how it, how it will be hey, yeah i want to go off that too just i think that acr will be rewarded ultimately if they take this seriously because if you look at an alternative case with ignition poker they have very similar bot farms or they have active collusion 
who who's the CEO? What are they saying? Where's the representatives? I think the reason that people are being so hard on ACR is because they're at least there. And that's why I actually have some hope for online poker is that I know Nagy cares a lot about poker. I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, and I think that, you know, with the voices of the community all coming up all at the same time, like you're going to hear this loud and clear and actually implement some of this stuff because it's literally, it's not actually not that hard to ban these people. Um, and it's not that hard to just create, it's a monthly Zoom call pretty much. I don't think it would be that hard. It could change quite a lot. <laughs> so we're actually way closer than we are too far away. And just right. like, even personally, I had my biggest year by far last year financially. I know so many people um, that did as well. So just, I think the poker dream, since that's a little bit of the theme, is definitely still alive. I mean, I was talking to Pat Howard um, at the at the end of the year last year, and we're like going over like all these different numbers and like traffic on all these sites is actually going up. Of course, the economy and Bitcoin going up is helping that too. But it's like, yeah, everyone we know had a very good year. They're not necessarily going and amplifying that. Uh, on social media, but I see a lot of opportunity out there. And so if ACR can just get their ducks in a row, talk to the high stakes players, ban these bots that are operating in a very transparent and easy, easy to identify manner. I think like the entire thing could shift. That's what, that's why I'm hopeful. Yeah, I, I agree with Matt. I think that was a big part of um, what I made a post on Twitter about was that, you know, ACR is really good at interacting with the community that are good at at least having that line of you know what other ceo is out there on twitter <laughs> maybe he he didn't go about it the, the best you know way um but at least they're making an effort they're making an effort to implement new security features they're making an effort to be a little bit more transparent with the community um and i i, I do feel positive about like the future of acr in terms of you know going forward and uh continuing to improve their game integrity like it's it is a you know like everyone has already mentioned it's a good thing in some ways that this went down so that we can now address it more and and keep consistent and continue to be more transparent and that's the main thing that i want to work towards as an ambassador personally is to um, make sure that that communication still continues. Um, so just like piggybacking on everything so far, I do think that having educated ambassadors, having communication, um, maybe having uh, new channels of communication too, right? Because I think poker Twitter is not always the most effective way of communicating between the poker community. It, it, it pulls in a lot of people that aren't necessarily educated on things and they like to, you know, jump on people and uh, scathe different sites for different things that they they end up falling short for. Um, it It's not as productive as it could be. So also creating more communication channels outside of maybe poker Twitter could be an also good solution for this stuff. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really great point to end on. Uh, I've I've certainly been the online doomer for as long as I can remember. And I have to say that even I have, back, oh, hello. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I have to say that even I have um, a new sense of, uh, I guess, hope because well, there, there's a couple things going on. I, I, for one, believe that online poker is the catalyst to the growth of the game, right? It's way more so than live. You, you can just, uh, it, it's so much a lower barrier of entry to get into. Uh, people can, put in much more volume and just get better at the the game, whether it's a hobby or a career choice for them. So I do really believe that online is mandatory if this game is going to survive the long haul. 
Um, but secondarily, I, I think that I just feel a, a certain sense of confidence knowing how organized you guys all are behind the scenes. Um, I had an idea of this, but like, you know, I, I didn't realize it went quite as deep as it went. Um, and I think that that's important. I think the community at large, uh, from top to bottom, kind of needs to continue to develop this level of organization, similar to what Chris was just alluding to. Poker Twitter is kind of a nightmare because uh, it's not just a bunch of onlookers. It's a bunch of onlookers who have the ability to kind of insert themselves in the conversation, steer things in a different direction, railroad the conversation, etc. cetera. Um, having industry insiders be able to communicate with operators, communicate what the, the, the needs are from the customer perspective, as well as uh, listen to operators whenever they are telling you what they can and cannot do, uh, and have that message then communicated out and broadcast to the to the general populace. I think goes a really long way for the health of uh, online poker as we know it, as well as you know the growth of the game. Um, so though I do still see a lot of challenges ahead for online. Um, I think that you guys all made a lot of very fair points that those challenges have always existed. They've just become a lot more sophisticated as we've become more sophisticated and the game has grown. Uh, I really want to thank you guys all for joining me. I know that uh, the timing of all this is weird. Uh, some of you are in very awkward positions, be it as uh, an ambassador for a site that's being scrutinized or the, the uh, part of the security team and what have you. Um, I hope that this conversation uh, kind of sheds a light a little bit on what's occurring online, what's possible online, and how things are being handled both uh, publicly and behind the scenes. Uh, big thank you to John Andreas, Patrick Pads Poker, uh, Chris George, Rob Kuhn, and Matt Marinelli for joining us today. That's going to do it for us uh, for today's episode. Be sure to stay tuned. We'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Pacific, joined by Matt Hunt. We're going to be talking all things strategy for a rare Strat Chat Thursday. Uh, that's going to do it for us. We'll see you guys all tomorrow.